Welcome back, my friends, to AA Recovery Interviews. I'm your host, Howard L. Sober since January 1st, 1988, one day at a time. I'm grateful that you've joined us. Most of us have heard the phrase, a head full of AA and a belly full of booze, that describes that terrible feeling experienced by those who've been to AA but chose to go back out and drink. My guest today, Sally G., had thought all the knowledge she gleaned from a couple of years of half-hearted commitment to AA would be enough to keep her sober, but it wasn't. She slipped rapidly back into an alcoholic abyss that consumed her life for most of the 1990s. By the time she was intervened on in the spring of 1998, on the verge of losing her husband and children, Sally had hit a dark bottom that was her turning point to a new life of real sobriety. Sally has been sober nearly 23 years now and has been a good friend of mine for many of them. Whenever I've heard her share in AA meetings, my hope has been that everyone in the room who was struggling was tuned into her vital message. My hope today is that Sally's cautionary tale of getting and staying sober will resonate with all who hear it. It's an investment in listening for a little over an hour to her captivating tale of experience, strength, and hope. With that, I'm thrilled to welcome Sally G. to AA Recovery Interviews. My name's Sally, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Sally. So glad you could be here today. So you're, you're in uh, North Carolina, and you and I knew each other, or know each other, for a long time, going to the same meetings together in Houston. Yes. How many years do you think that's been? At least 12, 10 or 12. At least, yeah, I'm sure. I think that's amazing that you and I have known each other that long. What is your current sobriety date? My current sobriety date is April the 4th, 1998. Okay. So Coming up on 23 years. Oh, that's amazing. Now, I asked the question, what's your current? Because I've heard you mention in the past that you had a period of time prior to that. So your original sobriety date was? It was February the 10th, 1989. Okay. Was that the first time you had come to AA at that point? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So people get to AA for all kinds of reasons. You and I both know that the most important thing is that you got here. That's it. Thank God. Yeah, thank God for that. So did you grow up in Houston or where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in a town outside of Houston, Rosenberg, Texas. What was your your early home life like when you were growing up and coming up there in Rosenberg? You know, there was five kids. Uh-huh. And my dad was a rice farmer. Mm-hmm. And he was not home a whole lot. You know, you're either planting the rice you're cultivating, you're gathering mm-hmm. the rice. So he was pretty busy all year long, which left my mom to take care of us and get us to all of our, I remember we were all on the swimming team. Uh, we would get up at, you know, five thirty, six o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning, ride our bicycles to the mm-hmm. swim meets, the swim practice. And, you know, we were five wild kids. Mm. And I don't think it was you know, anything uh, out of the mm-hmm. ordinary. Uh, my dad had made us, um, had built us up this mm-hmm. go-kart. And, and neighborhood kids would come and stand mm-hmm. in line. We'd attach wagons to the back of the go-kart. And behind our house was this mm-hmm. vacant lot that my dad owned. And we would ride around in the go-kart from sunup till sundown, 
uh, with all the neighborhood kids, you know, we found entertainment wow. and it was, it was really a great, you know, childhood. It sounds like it. I mean, uh, what kid doesn't want to have a go-kart to ride around in all day long? Where were you uh, in, in the order of the siblings? Were you the oldest, youngest in between? In between. I had two older sisters. I have two older sisters and two younger brothers. You're smack dab in the middle, huh? In the middle. Do you remember um, in your in your early life, in your early family life, was what was your exposure to or knowledge of drinking or alcohol? What did you perceive as a kid? You know, probably the earliest that I have of it, or my parents were members of this mm-hmm. dance club. And, you know, they'd have people come over before the they'd all take off to go to mm-hmm. the dances and we'd be left with a babysitter and they'd drink, you know, but I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't partake of it. It, you know, I've heard people, oh, at five o'clock, five eight years old, I was drinking margaritas or sipping from the liquor bars and this mm-hmm. and that and the other. I didn't, we didn't mm-hmm. do that till I got into mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't up in my yeah. face, and maybe it wasn't of any interest because I didn't. Um, yeah, I didn't drink uh, in his childhood. Yeah. yeah, you know, sometimes I don't know if you've ever felt this way in AA, but there are so many people who have that story that you were just mentioning that you didn't have, where they were sneaking drinks when they were five years old and they started drinking when they were nine and that sort of thing. I didn't have that either. Neither of my parents drank at all. I didn't drink until, uh, geez, in, in fact, almost until I was out of high school. And but yet sitting in meetings, listening to people telling all those stories, I felt like I felt kind of left out. You know, my childhood didn't include that kind of thing. But eh, what the heck? We got to where we got to. So so you made it through to high school without really having that kind of exposure or involvement with liquor. Exactly. But, you know, uh, the the high school, we'd get together in cars and drive out to this property down in Thompson Bottom a pasture, mm-hmm. everybody round up their cars and ice chest full of beer. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't remember whiskey mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. When I first started drinking beer, I couldn't stand it. It was, but everybody was drinking it. So, you know, here you go. You just drink it too. Was that right when you got into high school or was it further along? It was probably right into, into high school. So was it uh, was it mostly about the 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 people who you were hanging with and that's what they were doing or was it more a situation that everybody was doing it and you just followed the lead of other folks? That that's what everybody was doing. I mean, we'd get together and if you yeah you know if you want to be cool, uh, you hopped in the cars and you went out to this pastor out in uh-huh. Thompson or you'd ride around you'd ride uh-huh. around town with an ice chest uh-huh. in the back of your car. Yeah. Drink beer, just go around, and I mean, it was a party yeah, on that's wheels. That's amazing. So, when you were doing that, were were any people in your family involved at all? Siblings? Um, no, it was just the the high yeah. school group of kids that I ran around with. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really party in the same groups. Okay, so you were in a different a different social group than your siblings. Did early on in your drinking with this group. Were there ever times where there were uh, negative consequences or things that happened that uh, got in the way of that fun-loving time? No. Well, I'll take that back. You know, the, the we didn't have mad mothers yeah. back then. And 
I remember being at a party. Uh huh. We were at this guy's house. Mm-hmm. His parents were out of town, so it was just a, a two-story house full of drinking. And mm-hmm. uh, at the time, a lot of those kids, a lot of my friends, smoked pot, but I didn't smoke pot. And I guess I got, I must have, I, I can't remember everything that I consumed mm-hmm. that night, but these two guys that were really mm-hmm. good friends of mine, they ended up driving me home. And I was so mm-hmm. drunk, they just pushed me out of the car onto the front porch, rang the doorbell, hopped in the car, and took off. Oh, my. So here I am, barely able to stand up. And the front door opens up and, you know, of course, my mother greets me at the front door one of many times. And uh, I told her I'd just been drinking Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Needless to say, she was a bit infuriated by that answer. Sounds like a bad batch of Dr. Pepper, right? (laughs) (laughs) It was was really bad. So I went to bed and then, you know, during the night, sometime during the night, I I uh, thought I was still out there at mm-hmm. the campground, right? And I wasn't. I was in my bed. I got in the mm-hmm. closet and mm-hmm. threw up. So um, that led to many nights of, you know, drink and get sick. And this is all still going on in, in high school? Yes. So what were your parents' response to this once they knew that this was going on? Grounded. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I got grounded. I got grounded a lot. A lot. And on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. I had to go to church. Hangover, no hangover, mm-hmm. you're going to church. But that didn't that didn't stop me. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Uh, did, was there any physical or yelling or anything like that that went on, or was it just a simple matter of grounding you each time? Grounding. Grounding. Yeah. And the the big deal was taking the car away. When you took away the car, that was that was my freedom. Yeah, I get it. And you take away my car, you know, there it went. Yeah, and in Texas in those days driving age was 16 16 16 so you're uh you're maybe a sophomore or junior when that's going on you know i want to tell you i was a freshman okay okay so you were a freshman so you still had four years of high school to be driving around and doing what it is that you wanted to do so this was so was this kind of like standard behavior throughout high school yes exactly what I wanted to do, I was going to do it. And it didn't matter what I had to do to make that happen. And I didn't care about the about what they did or what they, I mean, I cared about taking away the car, but I would find a way. Yeah. So you had plenty of workarounds whenever that happened to you, huh? Yes. Can you identify specific reasons that you might have given yourself for drinking at that time was it just to fit in was it to change the way you feel what what were the some of the chief reasons if if we asked the sally of high school age today why do you why do you drink what would she say because everybody else did yeah maybe to fit in but but that just seemed to be what everybody uh-huh. did back then uh that was the chief entertainment you know you could go to the movies and all that but it seemed like everybody was having a really good time drinking and you mentioned that you didn't engage in marijuana or other drugs at that point oh no no i i uh it was against the law (laughs) (laughs) 
so, so you were you were a law-abiding citizen while you were in high school. That's good to know. So, so you never did you ever get arrested or or in formal trouble with law while you were in high school? Never. Most of the people, at least that I've interviewed for the uh, for the podcast, had some kind of run-in with the law. Some. Some more than others, but so you're you're drinking throughout high school without any super bad consequences outside of the the car getting taken away. So what happens after you get out of uh, high school? What are some of the next milestones for you? My parents wanted me to go to school. I was the third child that did not go go to college. Huh. Uh, my older two sisters went to college. One went on to be a psychologist. Hmm. The other one went on to be a nurse. And he and here was me. So when I jumped up and said, I'll go to Wharton County Junior College, they were thrilled to death. Now, Wharton is a whopping big 22 or 23 miles from Rosenberg, Texas. Mm -hmm. They were so excited that I was going to college. They got me an apartment Hmm. in Wharton, Texas. Nice. (laughs) And hence, uh, that was probably a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I enrolled in accounting courses mm-hmm. made terrible grades but i drank a lot um the guy that lived in the apartment next to me mm-hmm. uh quite a bit older uh he and i would mm-hmm. go to this w- place called the wagon wheel and it was a bar pool hall and just absolutely i'd get toes i mean i don't even remember mm-hmm. half the mm-hmm. stuff i did when i lived in wharton texas because every night mm-hmm. i drank and I did learn uh, I was ex- where I smoked pot. Mm-hmm. So between drinking Jack Daniels and Coke and smoking marijuana, I couldn't I wasn't I didn't have a very good collegiate <laughs> <laughs> career, <laughs> I must say. Needless to say, I flunked out. I think my parents got all these pink slips. And sure. Uh, so I left Wharton County Junior College and moved back home. And started dating this guy. His parents had, her. his mm-hmm. father had a parts store in Rosenberg. Yeah. And we dated for several years and I broke up with him. And I mean, it was like one bad hmm. relationship after another. I mean, I wanted to have a, a good, right. wholesome relationship with a guy, but it never happened. Was that because of the drinking and drug use? Yes. Oh, yeah. The drinking. Oh, yeah. So were you, when you were looking for somebody whom you could date or who you would agree to date, drinking and drugs were a prerequisite for that or or just turned out that way? It, it and not the drugs, the drinking. The drinking. Uh, OK. Yeah. It turned out that way. This one guy that I was dating, it was some kind of a, a scotch and water is what he drank. And he said, you know, yeah. if you look because I'd already passed sure. out so many times with this fella. Uh and it wasn't hypoglycemia. Yeah. It was pure ass drunk. He said, you know, we're going to this big party. Why don't you mm. try drinking scotch and water? You won't have a hangover, but plus it won't get you so messed mm-hmm. up. He left me with a bottle of scotch mm-hmm. and took off to go to work. And so when he mm-hmm. comes back, I mean, I'm on the floor. I damn near drank half that bottle oh, of scotch gosh. practicing how to drink <laughs> scotch and water. So, needless to say, you plunked out of that one too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh my goodness, 
I'm thinking about some of these things. I just go, God, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here talking to you. Um, and then, you know, I ended up going to work. Oh, Lord, I had a, my sister and I, oldest one, started a detail shop in uh, 1970, mm-hmm. 1977. And after about a year, she quit because it was too cold. It was an outside we detailed cars for the dealerships and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I got some high school kids to help me after they got out of school. But uh, the business was uh, pretty successful, but you had to, I was kind of operating on my own accord and to be sure that all the cars and so forth got done, I had mm-hmm. to find something that was going to keep me awake mm-hmm. day in and day out. So, you know, of course I dabbled in drugs at that time of my life which ended up just being a bomb. Mm. I mean, I was a hot mess back then and got a little bit of reprieve uh, from my parents. You know, they said, you need to come home and settle down for a little bit, take care of some business Mm. and uh, get your head right. Because they were concerned and I was concerned because you can't function very well on hardly any sleep in a 24-hour period day, you know. Mm -hmm. So the days were dark back then. And then I ended up getting a job working for a mortgage company, downtown Houston, hence started a little bit better path, less drinking. Uh, but then of course, once I figured out mm-hmm. that uh, I could go to lunch and have a cocktail or two mm-hmm. and go back to work, yeah, you know, then here you go. That lunch break turns into an all-day mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. So I ended up quitting that job. And, um, and we're talking late 70s now, early 80s? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Early, early 80s. And then I hopped into the automobile industry in Rosenberg, Texas. There was a Toyota dealership there. Mm-hmm. So I thought, mm-hmm. I'll try my hand at selling cars. So I did that. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. I mean, I had, uh, you know... That was uh, probably one of the best moves that I could have made. At at that time in my life, I wasn't really concentrating drinking. You know, I had not yet crossed that line. I see. So I worked there for a couple of years. And uh, then there was a dealership in Houston. And Mm -hmm. he wanted to interview me for their Mm -hmm. uh, finance Mm -hmm. manager position in San Antonio. And at the time I was dating uh, mm-hmm. my husband now, Stan, uh, he mm-hmm. was the body shop manager at the Toyota store. So I, I told him, I said, I, mm-hmm. uh, I took the job. So I told Stan, I mm-hmm. said, I'm moving to San Antonio. You can either go with or you can stay. Well, he went with. <laughs> uh-huh. And you're still married to this day, right? Yes. Yes. God love him. <laughs> Yeah, turned out to be a good, turned out to be a good decision for him then, huh? Oh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I always you. thought of the auto, uh, the automobile profession, the sales, all that was a profession in which there was a kind of a higher degree of drinking and and that sort of thing than than most professions. Is that is that is that true? Oh, that would be a great assumption. Yeah. Uh huh. Was that the case when you got to San Antonio then? Oh, there was some guys and I knew them from when I worked at the Toyota store in Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. So 
I didn't realize to the, yeah, I did. They partied like rock stars and the, the cocaine, more cocaine. (laughs) And I, I I mean, then I learned about crystal meth. And so here I am. Oh my God. I don't even know how I did it. Finance manager Mm -hmm. for this dealership. And, um, once I went to lunch, mm-hmm. all bets were off. Hmm. I mean, I'd go to lunch. There was an Italian restaurant. We'd pull up, mm-hmm. and the wine bottle mm-hmm. would be on the table. The bread mm-hmm. with the dip sauce would be on the table mm-hmm. before we ever got out of the car. So we'd sit there and go through a couple of bottles of wine hmm. and then go back to work. There are some people that maybe can go back to work, mm-hmm. but I couldn't go back to work. Uh, I would get irritated very easily. Mm, I get it. And then uh, confrontational. And, and and then I'd have to go home. Now, when you were going out for these lunches, you were going out with other managers? or Right. So did that soften the response from your employer to what was going on for you? Or uh, since everybody else was doing it? Or, or did you kind of stick you out? Know, <clears throat> It at it, it, the dealership in San Antonio, everybody did it, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I don't think at that time, I may be wrong, but I don't think at mm-hmm. that time anyone saw it as an issue. I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I you know everybody and some of them, you know the salesmen, of course. Uh, I'd go they yeah. they party, come over to our house and party. Uh, we'd all, yeah. I mean, it was just like one big happy party and family that got out of control. I mean, to uh-huh. me, it got out of control. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, you know, and here I am pregnant yeah. oh, with my. child okay. number one and, uh, mm-hmm. still partying like a rock star hmm. and hmm. through the pregnancy and then delivered him, um, uh, five weeks early in San Antonio and you know, he was fine Mm. as wine. Thank God. Um, Mm. but you were continuing the, the drinking and whatever else while you were pregnant. Yes. Yes. The drinking. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think whether that would that have been before there was a lot known about the connection or were you just doing it anyway between, uh, uh, birth problems and that sort of thing. And I and could alcohol. not, not do it. Yeah. Really? At that, uh-huh. Because yeah. I remember, um, uh, trying to not, not do it because, and, uh-huh. and I didn't want anybody. I don't think there was a lot of people around except my husband that knew right. that I was still drinking like I was being pregnant. So the, the, your first child came at five weeks early, but was healthy. Yes, he came five weeks early, four pounds eleven ounces. You know, they said he's healthy. God, what a blessing! What a blessing! There's no doubt that um, it was a blessing. No doubt in my mind. After, mm. you know, when I sit mm. here, think about what all I did, being pregnant at this t- right now. I can't see how I could have stopped totally, not consuming yeah. the way that we were consuming. Mm-hmm. And I know when I was in the hospital, of course, I wasn't yeah. having anything to drink. Of course not. So I'm sure mm-hmm. when I got home, mm-hmm. 
uh, towed the line somewhat. Well, that's tough. I mean, to stop for an event or having a baby or any other reason, sometimes this is enough of a reason to stop and sometimes there's enough impetus to stop. But if you wouldn't have stopped otherwise, why would you stop? That's right. Just because That's of right. that, right? Yeah, I get that. I get that. So this, this, uh, this again is early '80s, and you mentioned earlier that your sobriety, your first sobriety date was in 1989. Correct. Can you fast forward through the '80s to take us to where, when you finally got to AA, and what the circumstances around that were? All right. So we stayed in San Antonio. We moved back. I got another job offer back in Rosenberg, so I thought, okay, let's go to Rosenberg. Uh huh. And uh, was in the car business back at that same dealer for about two more years. Oh. And then mm-hmm. um, I had our second son. So I told my husband, mm-hmm. I said, well, why don't I just stay home? And it'll be a lot cheaper than a daycare center. And he said, well, no, you know, you'll be drinking all day, every day. And I said, oh, no, I won't. I'll just wait. And, and you know, when you come home from work, we'll have a drink and, you know, blah, blah. Well, that didn't work. So he noticed you had a problem, huh? Oh, yes. Yeah. Did he, when did he first say something to you about that? Or when, when did you know that he knew that there's a problem going that on? That was probably the, the biggest deal was that day that we were out on the driveway and he said, you know, he said, I, if you stay home, you'll just be drinking all day long. My husband could have a drink or two or three and he held a mm-hmm. job. He was responsible, yeah. unlike his wife. So that's what we call a normie, right? Someone, <laughs> a normal drinker, a responsible drinker. I get it. That's yeah. it. And at the time, I don't think I could have gone to work. We had the two boys. I had, a, you know, it, it, yeah. after Nathan was born, then I started drinking, you know, even more. And and it got extremely bad uh, by about 19. After Nathan was born, 88, I was just a whack job. And, I, you know, my parents... Would my daddy would uh-huh. come over and uh, mm-hmm. they would just, you know, I could tell this look of disgust. Oh my. And so the night that topped it, I mean, I went to uh, the daycare where my boys were in a CJ7 black Jeep right. and picked them up. I don't remember mm-hmm. how I got there. I don't remember how I got home. Mm-hmm. But I do remember waking up the when, when we walked in the mm-hmm. door, the boys said, that they wanted a pizza. And I said, okay, so I ordered a pizza and Howard, I'd been drinking shots of tequila, uh, scotch, uh, you name it. I was and so how I did this, I ordered a pizza. And the Mm. next thing I know I'm looking up and there's the Richmond police department. I'm on the living room Mm. floor. And mm. so there, I knew them all because they're local. I was grew up. Sure. He said, uh, Sally, what, what have you been taking? I said, I haven't been taking anything. I've been drinking. He goes, there's no way. And I got, uh, you know, I started coming to a little bit better looking around. And there was mm-hmm. all these cops in your living room, in my living room. <laughs> and, I, I, and so I got and I stood up and. He said, you know, we've looked at what, where are the pills? What? And I said, I'm telling you, I haven't had any pills. I said, I've been out at Brazos Bottom drinking this, this, and this. And I said, what are y'all doing here? Hmm. And he said, well, evidently you ordered a pizza. And then it started clicking. And he said, and then you were on the floor. And so the pizza man 
your boys wouldn't let him in because they said, my mama, no stranger, no stranger. And so they wouldn't hmm. open up the door. And the pizza man said, well, where's your mom? Well, she's on the floor. So he calls 911. And yeah. so hence, here comes the cops. And I guess the boys let him in. I don't know all that because I was passed down. But, uh, you know, he had said, if your mom wasn't on her way over here right now, we'd have to take him to CPS until your family could get him. So right then, wow. and my husband was so pissed. Oh, he was beyond pissed. He comes home most nights and he'd have to park out on the street because the driveway was filled with cars because we were all partying. Oh my. So, huh. so this. And these are, these are friends of yours. Oh yeah. From, from the, the job or from. Around town, around town. People I've known. So Sally's was the party place. Yes. Sally's bar and grill. Right. Even though there were two little toddlers running around. Yes. Yes. So after that event, my mother, she was going to take the kids so that mm. I could sit there with my husband and figure out what we were going to do because their concern, of mm -hmm. course, was for the little boys. They were three and two. So I ended up uh, agreeing to go to a place called Houston International Hospital. I went there mm -hmm. and because of insurance, they would just cover for seven days. Mm. So I'll never forget. They had some really uh, hardcore psychotherapy mm -hmm. where they have you doing interaction my, against my father talking about with my dad, you know, conversations, just really yeah. peeling emotionally down, stripping me. Right. And of course, then they put me out on the street and said, you need to go find some sort of uh, aftercare because your insurance won't cover anymore. So I ended up going to uh, AA. Mm -hmm. hmm. Was that their suggestion or was that something you figured out in your own? Were they leaning you towards AA or were they just said, go find aftercare? No, they, uh, I'd called my insurance company and I said, okay, right. It, it, this, this place that they wanted me to go to was some sort of spirit of the something. And yeah. it was more where you hold hands and you do a lot of meditation and I just I, mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is just I went to I went to three of them to give them a fair shake. Mm -hmm. And sure, I, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Uh -huh. I called my insurance company and I said, OK, so since I can't go, what do y'all recommend? And um, they said, you may want to go to find you an Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought Alcoholics Anonymous. OK, so I looked uh, in the phone book uh -huh. and there was one in downtown Richmond. It was in an old right. building. And so I thought, okay, I had to go because my parents were pressuring me. My husband, our relationship was so, it was on the edge. Mm -hmm. So I went to AA and I get, I, I drive up and I'm nervous as hell. And I put my hand mm -hmm. on the doorknob and I look through the glass windows. They had their little half curtains. Mm -hmm. And I see this white head lady. And I thought the only person I know that has white hair like that is my son's preschool teacher. Hmm. And I thought, what is she doing in there? And so I just started looking around and I thought, oh, I'm not going in there. You know, and they were smoking. Uh, yeah. So I, I started walking away and I, I, then I stood there and I said, OK, what is she doing there? Evidently, she has a problem. Huh. So I'm having this conversation with myself. Uh -huh. 
she's had, she's got a problem. So I walked on in and I sat at one of the tables and just listened. Of course, I, you know, I missed all mm-hmm. the introductions. And so after it was over with, I went up to her and she turned around. And of course she saw me and she smiled and hmm. she said, I was wondering if you were ever going to find these rooms. <laughs> all right. <laughs> wow. So I didn't say anything. I just kind of laughed and chuckled. And then, you know, I went to a couple of more meetings and they mm-hmm. had one beauty of it is back in 89 mm-hmm. kids were, they had a daycare in the back. They had a, they had mm-hmm. one of the children of one of the goers that babysat any parent that came in there that had children. I get it. Yeah. And it was awesome. Uh, you know, that's yeah. probably one reason why I continued going there because the meetings were at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. My husband couldn't get home. He got off at six. So I had to take the three kids with me. Hmm. So we went to the meetings. It was the boys actually at that time, but I was got pregnant with Haley. Hmm. So I went to those meetings and, you know, I, Howard, I, you've heard it before. I just went, I just sat down and I had asked Barbara to be my sponsor. And so she tried to mm-hmm. give me, she gave, I had the big book. Mm-hmm. She tried to, you know, let's do the first step. And she gave me a little bit of direction. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, I didn't do any of it. What barriers had you set up for yourself to doing the work? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Just weren't ready or. I, I just didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be, I knew I needed to be somewhere, but it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I'll be able to drink. I, I, I could not yeah. imagine not drinking because we had this group of people that we partied with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine not going to a, a crawfish boil without drinking. Uh-huh. So these people were, were still in the picture even while you were going to AA on a regular basis at that time? Oh, yes. So every time you saw them, it was Sally, the woman who used to drink and party with us, now who doesn't do those things. How did that make you feel when you were around those people? Uh Horrible. Huh. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to be around them. Right. You know, I'll, uh, there was a night and this was fast. I was pregnant, got pregnant with Haley. Mm-hmm. And here I am big sitting in a rocking chair in our living room. And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of folks out at our swimming pool partying like rock stars. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, a dry drunk is not a fun one. Right. And a pregnant dry drunk is really not, a, <laughs> is, that's really not a fun one. But I got yeah. so angry at him. You know, here you want me to, I thought you wanted me to do this. And, you know, here you are out here partying with all these people. And it just was a very trying time in our marriage. Wow. Because he was, he was still, Partying. Normally, as somebody who likes to party without having to be an alcoholic. Right, right. But of course, to Mm -hmm. me, because I wasn't able to do it, nobody could. So you hadn't changed out this group of people from the past with a new group. In other words, you you didn't change your playgrounds and playmates once you were in AA. You continued on with the old crowd. Oh, yeah. So how long did that go on? Two years. Yeah, a little over two, a little over two so years. So Haley is born during that time. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and she was at the time she was about twelve months. We're going to Corpus Christi for spring break, mm-hmm. 
and I've got my little iced tea mm-hmm. and we're, we get there and I, we get on the beach, we get to the hotel, mm-hmm. everybody puts on their bathing suit. We go down to the beach and Stan says, I'm going to go get me a beer. What do you want? And, and right out of my mouth, a Bloody Mary. Hmm. And he looked at me with this weird look. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, come on. Just one. Mm-hmm. No, mm. it wasn't one. Before the weekend, the long weekend was over, mm-hmm. we came back with a full bar. My goodness. I was uh, drunk. I went to a Mexican restaurant to eat dinner. I fell in the plate. Oh, my. The boys were going, Mama, come on, let's go, let's go. And I'm sitting there drinking, trying to catch this proverbial buzz before we go anywhere. My goodness. It, you know, the nightmare began. Yeah, that sounds like a horrible nightmare. When, when you asked for that Bloody Mary and he paused, it sounds like he paused and he said, are you sure? Um, had any point during the period in which you were sober, were you counting on him to keep you sober or did you blame him when you got drunk for the fact that he didn't stop you or was he just complicit by just ignorance of what was going to happen after you drank? Probably complicit of ignorance. Yeah, because a normal drinker, a normal drinker would never consider that, right? Right. He uh, yeah, he had, I mean, he knew, but maybe he thought at the time. And had a drink in two years, mm. over two mm-hmm. years. Maybe she'll be okay. Maybe she's normal again. Right. She just flipped back. Yeah. But um, and then he found out, mm-hmm. and we got, and I know we got home from. Uh, it was horrible. The drive home mm. was quiet mm-hmm. because uh, I drank on the way home. We'll be right back. My friends, if you're enjoying this show, I invite you to check out the Big Book Podcast, the free audio version of the first and second editions of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's an engaging and inspiring word-for-word reading of all 11 chapters and personal stories, including more than 50 original stories that were left out of the third and fourth editions. If you've never read the first or second editions, these amazing stories will be brand new to you. The Big Book Podcast was read by Howard L., who received no compensation for this vital service work. Subscribe to the Big Book Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and search for Big Book Podcast. You'll know you've arrived when you see our logo, a first edition Big Book wearing headphones. Or you can visit BigBookPodcast.com and listen there and share it with your friends, sponsees, and anyone you know who has a desire to stop drinking. It may be the only version of the big book they ever hear. And we're back. Those first two years, had you gotten your chips? Had you started to do any work yet with your sponsor? Or were you just basically going to AA uh, and staying dry? So you didn't drink during that period at all the, while you were in AA. No. So you slip at this point... What were your thoughts about slipping when you finally came to that realization? I could control it. Because you knew what to do or because now that you'd shown yourself you could stay sober for two years, you had some uh, new ability to stay sober if you wanted. Right. We were going to do weekends only. And were you planning to go continue on with AA or was that in the past by now? No, that was done. You know, she, the gal kept calling. She was calling me and I told her, I said, you know, I don't need it. Thank you very much, though. Yeah, I was going to control mm-hmm. it and I was going to just drink on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And then that that did work for a sure. little while. 
And then it didn't. And then it didn't. So we're talking about into maybe 1991 or 92, the wheels are starting to fall off or they've already fallen off at this point. What what were the next number of years like until you finally ended up in 98 coming around? The next six years were horrible. Horrible. In what way? Um, you know, by this time, I couldn't stop. I'm driving the boys to school, mm-hmm. just drunk as a skunk, coming home, playing with my daughter, drinking. And when, when she would take a nap, uh, I would... Mm-hmm. Take a nap. Uh, the boys would come home from school. Uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. there's mom on the couch, passed out. Mm-hmm. I remember going up to the school one day, mm-hmm. drunk, of course, to take something to my daughter. And I walk into the elementary and the fish fried, you know, when the school makes fish, mm-hmm. fish sticks, yeah, it yeah. stinks. Yeah, right. I go in and I, I know I wasn't dressed. Mm-hmm for the occasion, but I walk into the cafeteria Mm -hmm. kitchen area and start lifting up the pots and pans and ask them, what in the hell are y'all cooking for these children? It stinks. And of course they're appalled. I mean, they're flipping out and I just turn around and walk out, get my car. Well, Tony's who was the, um, he was the food director Mm -hmm. for LCISD. Mm -hmm. They lived in our neighborhood. Right. He called my husband and he said, Stan, he said, Sally is welcome to the school anytime she wants, but she can't come up here drunk. And then my, you know, my parents, neighbors, I mean, you know, by this time, by 95, right. the, the, The wheels are off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm drinking all day, every day, the boys, you know, this is some right. things I found out later, but my parents were so concerned mm-hmm. uh, when the boys would get home from school, uh-huh. they would come over because uh-huh. I'd be passed out on the couch and they would uh-huh. be running the neighborhood. Uh, they would come get the boys and take them to their house mm-hmm. and my daughter and keep them there until mm-hmm. Stan got home because I couldn't do it. That must have been awfully tough on your marriage at that point. It was. How did how did Stan react during those tough times? He was so angry at me and so mad at what I was doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he could have probably killed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were having a conversation the other night. In this period, my mother had given me a sewing machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was going to do with it, but I had asked for a sewing machine sure. and she brought mm-hmm. brought it over. And uh, one Sunday afternoon, I was passed out on the couch. Stan is outside in the backyard with the kids. Mm-hmm. And my mom and dad had driven up. Mm-hmm. And she asked, where's my sewing machine? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, that sewing machine I gave Sally, where is it? It's in the house. Go get it. And he told her, he said, I'm not going to go get a damn thing. He said, if you want it, you go get it. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm out here with my kids. He said, because your drunk ass daughter is in there, passed out. Wow. She goes back to the car and my dad comes up. Uh-huh. And he goes, Stan, what's the matter? And he said, I'm, I have just mm-hmm. about had it with your drunk-ass mm-hmm. daughter. Conversation goes on and on. And finally, my dad goes in and gets the sewing machine. And mm-hmm. he just looked at Stan. He said, I'm sorry, and just took off. 
Wow. So it and and it was just it was like this. It got sounds like it was getting worse and worse as time passed. Every day. Every day. The only reason he came home uh -huh. was to make sure those kids were okay. So he, like a lot of non recovering alcoholics, didn't treat what was going on with you as a disease over which you had no control, but instead was angry at you because you couldn't stop. That's it. Yeah. Willpower. 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 Yeah. So so take us up to the final um, hours or the final days before you, you came back to AA, and, and what did that look like? Grim. Grim. Yeah, it sound, <laughs> don't sound a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know this until much later, but my sister, my oldest sister, uh -huh. you know, I'd had some run-ins with them yeah. in that course of the six years. Mm-hmm they would come grab the kids and take them for a weekend just to make it sound like fun for the kids and so forth. But it was really to get them away from me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the danger. Yeah. So she had been arranging, trying to find a, some place to put me yeah. that would take me uh, because the insurance wasn't going to pay for it. Right. To do something about the drinking. Mm -hmm. uh, she had done her research she was a um, social worker. A social worker, yeah. So she w she got her little feelers out mm -hmm. and started doing all this investigating. And they came up with a place that would take me, but it would have to be under the guise of depression, mm -hmm. severe depression. Yeah. So it just it was a, a Friday. Mm -hmm. It was a Friday. And I had been doing the same thing that I did every day for the days preceding the kids would get home from school. I would be passed out on the couch. Mm -hmm. But this time I was on the bed. I was in our bedroom, passed out on the bed. Mm -hmm. And it was probably about four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I get this tappy tap tap on the shoulder. And it's my sister. And I roll over and I'm awakened out of a drunk sleep. And she said, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I just laid down for a few minutes to take a nap. And she said, well, you know, we, we want to talk to you about something. Hmm. And, of course, then I start coming, too. And uh, we go in the kitchen, and there stands my mother and dad, my younger brother. Hmm. My husband's on his way, and the kids. And my mom's crying. So I'm you know, what's happening? And she said, you know, we, you've got to do something about your drinking. She said, you're killing these kids. And mom and dad and, you know, the family, we just we want to take you somewhere, get you some help. Mm -hmm. And of course, I became very hostile mm -hmm. sure, and belligerent. Right. There was nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, behind the scenes prior to this moment, mm -hmm. my children had suitcases packed. Hmm. And if I had not have accepted this offer my husband had a job lined up in mississippi mm -hmm. he had a place rented for he and the children mm -hmm. and his boss at chrysler had told him that he could keep the jeep and whenever he found something in mississippi they'd work out the details right. not to worry about mm -hmm. it. so he had been planning this because he couldn't he couldn't stand it any longer it sounds like a classic intervention sally Exactly. Hmm. You know, and, and of course, my dad, I didn't know this until Stan and I had a conversation a while back, but my dad had called him 
And he said, if we can get her to go to this place, will you not leave? Hmm. And so he said, okay. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm thinking of every excuse because I knew down there in that cabinet was a big old half bottle of mm. Weller. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, you know, where am I going? Mm-hmm. What's this going to be like? Am I going to be able to come back home to this? Mm-hmm. What's it going to look, you know, all, sure. all this stuff. And so I said, you know what? Let's just wait till tomorrow. Huh. And Beverly's going, you know, let's just do this today. Why wait till tomorrow? And I said, well, I need to think about it. And I got a pack and my dad is just, go, you know, he's trying to carry on a conversation. My husband's not saying a thing. Sure. The children are over here. Right. He's here. So finally I said, when my daddy, he, he, they were begging and begging sure. and begging and nothing was working. I wasn't hearing anything they were saying. Right. And finally he said, come on, Carolyn, let's go. She doesn't want any help. I said, oh my God, he's leaving. So I said, well, wait a minute. What, what, all right, I'll go. Huh. So they're all talking and Beverly grabs me and takes me back to our bedroom and I start throwing stuff in the suitcase. Mm-hmm. And this was the end, middle of February, I mean, middle of March. Mm-hmm. So we got loaded up in the car mm-hmm. and my Stan and my sister and myself, mm-hmm. my parents stayed with the kids mm-hmm. and they took me and uh, one of the doctors had mm-hmm. recommended, had a spot for me mm-hmm. and they ended up having to take me back to the hospital so that I could get all these vitals and all this stuff test run before they would admit me. Right. Mm-hmm. And the alcohol level was out of this, out of the world, wow. out of this world. The doctors there said, you should be dead. Oh my God. Um, so we ended up going in uh-huh. and it, it was not a 12 step. It was not AA. it was a mental institution. Sure. So for 10 days, their deal was to detox me. Uh-huh. So after that, I talked to the shrink there, um, therapist, uh-huh. and he was awesome. Mm-hmm. He was from Houston. Yeah. And of course, at the time, I didn't know it, uh, but he had 18 years of sobriety. Oh, cool. So when I got discharged, you know, my husband had come up there that night before I left and he said, uh, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm, I'm going to come home and I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And he said, you can't drink. And I said, I'm not. I don't think he trusted. Mm-hmm. Of course, 10 days without a drink. Sure. Anyway, I get, I, my dad came that next morning, mm-hmm. Monday morning to pick me up mm-hmm. and took me home. And then I started going to AA, the Fort Bend Club. I had been there before. Right. 10, you know, in, in 89. What was your what was Stan's response when you said you were going to go back to AA since he had seen it once before did how did he react to that He 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 didn't Okay, okay good, good You know he he really didn't say anything good. Uh, You know I asked him years later I said why did you stay and he said cuz I knew you were in there somewhere <laughs> That's great That's great uh, So <clears throat> I did I I I went in conjunction with Alcoholics Anonymous, the state mandated me to go to uh, therapy huh. two days a week. Mm-hmm. 
and then it would end up digressing to one day a week, mm-hmm. but it was with Bob Peep. Mm, great. And they also had me on Zoloft right. for a short period of time because mm. I told him, I said, you know, it's really not doing any good. Half a Zoloft, 25 milligrams or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I said, the depression was caused by my drinking. Right. Do I look depressed? Mm-hmm. So we ended up shuffling that right out of the picture. But, you know, God bless him because he's the one that set me on my on my wheels. You know, I I had somebody besides my sponsor helping me with the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Was this the same sponsor that you had had previously? No, I'm talking about Bob Peep. The sponsor, the psychiatrist said, you need to go to AA. Right. He said, because if you don't do something, you're going to be back here mm-hmm. or you're going to be pushing up. What kind of flowers do you like? And I said, daisies <laughs> right, are good. Right, right. He said, you're going to be pushing up daisies. You know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, God, I don't want to go to AA again. It didn't do any good. Right. But I but I knew the open minded. Mm-hmm. I had to pull it off mm-hmm. big because I didn't have a choice. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't go for this. I went because of my family, the kids. Yeah. And my husband. That was all. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good enough reason to go, isn't it? It it did did it for me. Yeah. So so you started to go to the um to AA at that point, uh, and you got yourself a sponsor. Correct. And how long did it take you to work through the twelve steps initially? It was about seven months. Seven months. Okay. Uh-huh. And did you start to embrace the program over that time, or were you resistant to it? initially and then overcame that resistance or or were you ready from the day one pretty much once i met her uh-huh and once i went to her house uh-huh to start the journey yeah i was i was like a sponge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we'd be on this first step for a little while she you know i'd be doing some notebook work mm-hmm and I'd be ready for step three, or I was ready for step four. Come on, I was anxious to get the ball going, but I can appreciate today the way she led me mm-hmm. because I needed to sit. Yeah, yeah. In every every step, sit. Yeah, yeah. So, so you worked the twelve steps, and in seven months, you, did you become a regular in AA after uh, or during that period? And and after you had worked the steps, were you starting to sponsor people? I went to uh, a meeting every day. Every day, great. At Fort Bend Club, every day, and I met my sponsor at a, a speaker meeting uh-huh. at the Fort Bend Club, uh-huh. and so that's when I asked her to take me through the steps. Well, she was also going to the evening meetings. That's how I found her. It was pure God winks uh-huh, yeah. that she was there. Yeah. Uh, and then she's the one that recommended. She said, you know, she said, you've been, you went here before. And she said, you, you really need to get in touch with some, some strong, strong sobriety. Sure. And she said, so I want you to meet me. That was her yeah. cue. I want mm. you to meet me. <laughs> And she gave me the address Mm -hmm. and she told me how to get there because we didn't have GPS back then. So I did. I showed up. I parked. It was on Harwin. And I I went in and I remember Jim like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. He's standing at the door, you know, hello, little lady. And, you know, I I was scared to shit with me and I was looking for Lynn. And of course, she wasn't there. Uh I knew, you know, I should have known. 
So I walked in, I sat down, and there was some people there that that right were they Roe was there. Uh, there was a fellow, Jerry. Jerry, he's yeah, deceased. Yeah, he was terrific. But that man, uh, uh, another day in paradise. Yeah. It's just another day in yeah, paradise. He was, he was, and then he'd start laughing. Yeah, he was. his <laughs> laugh was infectious. And he and Jim, they were, uh, of course, they're gone now, but they were, they were two of the people that if you met them on your first day or within your first several days, you'd almost immediately feel welcomed in, into the club there. And... Uh, Oh, exactly. Yeah, I remember. I remember when the club moved over to to there from uh, from Richmond Avenue, and those guys were they were kind of cornerstones of that club and those meetings, and so that's probably where I first. I don't know if I met you at Harwin. I guess we met at some point there, but I think it's after it moved again over to West Park that I that I that West we Park. got to know that right. we got to know each other. Because Harwin, um, at that time, I was smoking. Right. And they had the smoking meeting, which is at the end of the mm-hmm. hall, and then the non-smoking right. that they eventually had. Mm-hmm. Remember, you, well, used yeah. to, your smokers sat on the right side <laughs> and the non-smokers on the left. <laughs> Think about that. That's so stupid. I know. It's like the non-smoking tables they had in some of the clubs where where they would have one table that said, <laughs> no smoking here, but there'd be this blue haze over the entire room. Yeah, right. Yeah. Same thing. After a while... They had one of those rooms when you'd walk in that long mm-hmm. hallway on the right side. There was a room that they eventually had for the non-smoking. Right. So it was the non-smoking room. Well, I attended the smoking room, and uh, <clears throat> but that so that may have been where you yeah, were. I, I'm sure because I I from the very beginning I well the first several years of of the program i used to go to meetings whether they were smoking or not but then as smoking started to kind of separate itself from the rest of aa in the meetings there were fewer and fewer smoking meetings because of city ordinances and that sort of thing but i preferred the non-smoking meetings uh but i never hesitated to go into a meeting where they were smoking if it was a good meeting it was the only meeting i I, i'll sit and breathe smoke for an hour if it means i can go to aa but I preferred the non-smoking. So you were going to you Correct. were going to Harwin until it moved, right? And then it moved to uh, West, West, West Park. Park, and now it's on the freeway there. That's amazing. So you've worked the steps. You're you're going to meetings all the time over the next period of I years. Am. So we're talking about from 1998 to the present day. Of course, before you left Houston to to move out to North Carolina, you, AA became a regular part of your life. I guess, huh? Oh, it was. It was, you know, and I'll tell you something funny. Back in the, the days, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how they have these uh, neighborhood crime watch. Right. Well, Sally got designated as the new person to, there was 80 houses in our little community. Uh-huh. And every August or whenever this national night out was, I would host at our house. Uh-huh. We'd have a big event. Yeah, and yeah. so. All the cops would look forward to coming by uh-huh. and have a jumping thing for all the kids. And sure, my dad would come over and help cook the big pots of seafood gumbo or chili or whatever. Uh-huh. And we'd have big parties. Well, the chief of police at the time, and this was back in 96, uh-huh. he said, uh, Sally, he said, why don't you sign up for the Citizens Police Academy? Uh-huh. And I thought, you know... That would be great, but I'm really busy. (laughs) 
I don't think right now is a good time for that. Right, right. But that's the first thing that I did in 1999 uh-huh. is signed up for the Citizens Police Academy. Wow. And y- you go into the prison oh, yeah. and you hear the doors shut. Mm-hmm. I think, thank God, you know, I don't have to be here. You know, you'd see the prisoners. They'd take us on a tour. and yeah. So I was able to accomplish that, uh-huh. and in turn, uh, and I don't know how this happened, but they awarded me with the Citizen of the Year. Oh, my. That's great. For all the contributions to the community in which I lived. Wow. And uh, then I went to real estate school, uh-huh. and I got my real estate license and sold houses for a couple of years, but that didn't match with being a mom and wanting to be involved in my children's activities yeah it's that's whether a, it be sports sure. or education um mm-hmm. and my oldest boy was on the golf team mm-hmm. he graduated from high school in 2004 and i i attended every one along with my husband mm-hmm. every one of his golf tournaments um i told him i said you know years ago i i couldn't have got i didn't go to one of your baseball games yeah. Uh, because I couldn't. I said, this, I will not miss the golf tournament. We're talking about the, the gifts of sobriety here, aren't we? I mean, uh, we are. We are. And and during this period of time, can, can you think of uh, maybe a couple of times where you were challenged, where your sobriety was pushed uh, maybe to the edge, uh, where maybe you were contemplating a drink and what happened or... Other times, maybe when things were just going so well that you decided maybe you didn't need AA. Can you recall some of those times between uh, when you got sober and and the present day? You know, I always said, no, I, you know, I made such a commitment. Yeah. If I was going to be pushed, it would have been back in 2006 uh-huh. when my old, my middle uh-huh. son, the middle child, actually, was in a motorcycle wreck. Oh my goodness. I remember kneeling at Herman Hospital downtown just crying. Mhm. Yeah. Why? You know, right. why him? And my husband was just standing yeah. there bless his heart he didn't know what to do but because I just sure. flipped out. But I I wasn't thinking mm. about a drink. Um I think when I made that commitment back in 1998. Mhm. Did a drink would not solve any of my problems mm-hmm. that God removed the obsession to drink. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't, I haven't been pushed yeah. to take a drink. Yeah. You know, we're sitting at a mm-hmm. restaurant uh, like most of us, mm-hmm. maybe none of us, I don't know, but I'll, somebody yeah. will order a margarita. Yeah. My husband, sure. for God's sakes, you'll order uh-huh. a margarita. I, it, it just, doesn't cross my mind. That sounds like the perfect demonstration of a commitment well kept by virtue of the work that you've done in the program over the years. Sounds to me like whatever you've done in your program has only made that commitment stronger. Is that a is that a fair thing to say? That's a beautiful assumption. Is it? Yes. Yes. How true is it? You know, I had I had said if after my dad passed away, mm-hmm. I'll be able to drink again. Hmm. He passed away in 17. Hmm. No way. I would never have breached my commitment to my higher power not to pick up a drink, no matter what. 
So somewhere along the way, you thought about, well, maybe if that happens, maybe then I'll drink. And then <laughs> yeah. it happened and you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that, he was, hmm. my dad was the only one to see the relationship that we had flourish like I had hoped. Right. Like I had imagined mm-hmm. my relationship with my dad would be. Yeah. When I stopped drinking mm-hmm. and changed my life, mm-hmm. it started happening. Hmm. I was there the day that he passed away, and it, I just could not have asked for anything. And being sober, that's the only way I can be today. Yeah, I remember seeing you in the meeting, at the meeting that we would go to every day. I remember seeing you shortly thereafter, and you shared about that in the meeting. And uh to me, that's what helps get us through the next thing that might be tough in our life is being able to share the tough things in other people's lives to see them keep the commitment to not drink no matter what. Well, you know, what's funny is you had said mm-hmm. when your mother passed away, right? the first thing you did was go to a meeting. Two hours later, I was sitting at the Delta yes. Club. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And so mine wasn't two hours later, but... I knew that's where I needed to go. I don't need to sit around here and frothy around these family. I need to go sit my ass in at a meeting in Delta. That's where I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why you and I connected so well is because we have that same kind of attitude towards those events. And we hang with people who are the kind who say, don't drink no matter what. Uh, We hang with folks that have gone through about everything that people can go through and still stay sober. So, kind of wrapping things up here, but I wanted to just ask you, when you run into uh, newcomers or people with limited sobriety, what do you tell them about the future that they have to look forward to? Life will take on a whole new meaning. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I think about the promises. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they there's no words. Yeah. Um, yeah. But life takes on a no, new meaning, and you never have to feel like that again. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have to drink again. Mm-hmm. You know, I pondered when Stan and I made the decision to move here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father had told me he loved to hear our stories sure. going on these motorcycle rides. Yeah. You know, we'd been to Florida. We'd been to Colorado. We'd been to Alabama, Georgia, mm-hmm. and even got to eat at Paula Dean's restaurant. And so my dad told me. He said, you know, I know you want to go somewhere. He said, and when your mom and I aren't here anymore, mm-hmm. you can go somewhere. But right now you got to take care of us. Hmm. So after my mom passed away in 2019, November, mm-hmm. January 2020, Stan and I thought, okay, where are we going? So we put a bunch of stuff in the pot, closed our eyes hmm. and decided North Carolina. Oh, my gosh. It was a toss-up between the Ozarks or the Smoky Mountains. I get it, yeah. And so I had asked, I was talking out loud, and I said, God, if there is something, find my dad. And if there's a reason why we should not be moving to North Carolina, if there's something that I can't see, show me. Hmm. Have a bird fly over my head and crap on my head. Do something. (laughs) And nothing, Howard, there was not a barrier. There wasn't a door shut. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a window. Mm -hmm. It was 
everything was full stream ahead. Wow. But I knew mm -hmm. I would not find another Delta Club. Right. But I better find an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting mm -hmm. in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And last night, they asked me to be the chairperson for the literature. Oh, wow. Which I, know, <laughs> I, I was so excited. I called Stan and I said, well, I guess I'm part of the group now there. They voted me to take care of all the literature. So oh, good for you. And I, you know, Lynn, Lynn had told me, find you an AA meeting. Right. And get into it. Right. Both feet. Mm -hmm. And I knew that because I've talked to people that have, you know, left and they inserted themselves in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh-huh. And you can't do it half ass. Right. You have to do it all the way. And it's a great place to make new friends too. When you've when you've moved to a new area, uh, it's almost like you've got a built in uh, group of people waiting for you when you get there. Uh, you can walk into any AA meeting anywhere and feel that's why when people say you need to go to a home group, what's your home group, Howard? I always say, well, whatever meeting I'm in that day is my home group because I feel at home everywhere I go in AA. Right. So right. it sounds like you connected really well there. And I remember when, when some of the folks from the Delta were helping you move yes. over there and, yes. what, and how excited they told me you were to be going there, but how you were concerned about the fact that there wasn't a Delta club there. But uh, it sounds like you've landed on your feet really well. I had to do a couple of Zoom meetings Yeah. Uh, because I knew I needed to plant my feet here. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I still have friends in Houston. They'll be friends forever. Oh, yeah. Uh, but in Stan, he tells people, he said, yes, he said, the minute she hits town, she she hooks up. She's got friends. <laughs> he said, my only friend is the garbage man. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I want to I want to thank you for doing this. You're you're one of my friends, and I love you, and you're just a, a terrific person. I love you, too. Thank, you're awesome. Thank you. And and the fact that you did this today is going to be of such help to other women, especially your story about having gone to AA, not doing the work, not engaging, not getting connected, and going back out, and then coming back to AA, doing the work, doing what's necessary, and you're still here 23 years later which is, it's just, it's such a gift. And to me, you're, you're a gift. And I, uh, I can't tell you how happy I am that you did this today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Howard. Well, my friends, that's it for AA Recovery Interviews. I'm thankful you tuned in. If you enjoyed AA Recovery Interviews, please share it with your fellow AAs, sponsees, friends, loved ones, and anyone else seeking a rich and meaningful listening experience. Tell them how to subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast providers. I'd be grateful if you can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, as it'll help others find us. Visit our website, recoveryinterviews.com, where you can listen to every show, share your comments, and also contact us. If you want to email me directly, it's howard at recoveryinterviews.com. By the way, to get in touch with Alcoholics Anonymous, simply visit aa.org. The next episode of AA Recovery Interviews is on the way, so keep coming back. It'll be here soon. <laughs>